This first reading is something I found on the internet. It's a post-New York grand jury decision blog, and no name was attached to it, but it seemed important. Dear white protesters, this is not about you. This is about making black lives matter. Our streets shouldn't be burial grounds for black people. Black people's rights shouldn't be put to a vote. Black people should be allowed to breathe, walk, exist without fear. So if you're actually here for making black lives matter, put down your I can't breathe signs, because you can, and that's the point, And pick up one now that declares black lives matter because right now they don't, and that's the point. Get off the ground and stand in solidarity as black people die in because it's not white bodies lying dead on our nation's streets, and that's the point. Hand over the bullhorn to a black person because your voice doesn't need a bullhorn to be heard, and that's the point. Oh, and please, stop saying all lives matter until they actually do. From a prayer by my colleague Fred Hammond. This is meant to be a season of great joy, watching children's glee grow brighter with every ornament placed on the evergreen tree and with every strand of light hung on windows, shining like a myriad of angels, singing peace and goodwill towards all. I want to protect their innocence, to present the world as it could be, a world of deep mystery and fascination, the wonder of a star showing the way of possibility with each new life bringing joy. This year, it seems a charade. I feel no joy in this season. Instead, I feel despair, a bottomless sadness for another black man's life taken too soon. Another life deemed unworthy. Another life lynched in the light of day. Another life reduced to viral fascination. Facts need to be gathered, we say. Facts reveal the truth, we say. Facts prove the system works, we say. Facts are dismissed or used to excuse Evil is justified by facts. I want to cry. I want to rend my clothes and don ashes. I want to howl my grief at the gods. If my tears declare black lives matter, if I cry out mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, If my outrage is loud enough, strong enough, if I repent of my complicity, will the star of Bethlehem appear to beckon us to follow a new creation, a new way of being, a new way of loving the world? This is not the sermon I had planned on originally for this morning. It's not even the sermon I had been thinking about a week ago or a few days ago. It's not even the sermon necessarily I had in mind yesterday morning. 
I had originally planned a nice, upbeat, warm and fuzzy, feel good about the good we're doing message about our holiday lights ministries, making the holidays brighter for our Habitat for Humanity family, the Bridge Communities family, and the Elba's kids. And those ministries are still important. I don't want us to skip the subject entirely, and I'm very grateful to Jean Pierce and Nancy Goodfellow and Jenny Montgomery for basically doing that sermon for me so I can, in good conscience, not do it. I do invite you to feel good about the help you have provided and may continue to provide with next Sunday's offerings as well. But this is not where my heart has been these past weeks and days. Last Sunday, right after the Garner Grand Jury decision, that decision was still too fresh and raw, and I had no words. I'm pretty sure I still don't have the right words. A huge contrast exists between talking about cheerfully and easily giving a little bit, each one of us, to make collectively a large difference in many lives, and talking about needing to change ourselves a lot in order to make any significant difference for the better in the world. Developing a feeling of feeling good in the fight against white privilege And that, I think, is what underlies the mess of racial misunderstanding that our culture suffers from. That's a much harder thing. White privilege is the unearned, unmerited standing of whites over and against people of color that our Anglo culture unthinkingly but stubbornly still reinforces. And it's hard to think about, hard to talk about, hard to change when you've been raised in it and still live in the middle of it, it can be hard even to recognize. So I turned to Doreen Christiani, a member of our congregation whom many of you know, and Doreen did me the huge favor of sitting down with me yesterday for a couple of hours to talk about the reality of race and racism and life, the universe, and everything. And we talked about what she might talk about this morning as I get out of the pulpit and out of her way because there are plenty of white folks talking but not always knowing what we're talking about. And it seems to be time to start hearing a different voice, one for whom the recent news is part of what Doreen calls chillingly the background noise of life. And what we came up with after realizing there was no one single topic to restrict her to, what we came up with was a questions and answer approach. We talked about questions I had, questions that I know other white members of the congregation might have, questions she would like us to be asking, questions she would like to answer, because they might open up minds and hearts and help us all understand one another a bit better. Help us to work together, play together, be together more effectively in the shared effort to create and nurture a better world. So we decided to call this Ask a Black African American Mixed Race Woman of Color. (laughs) There's probably not time for me to promise to take questions from the congregation, but I think we covered a pretty wide swath 
And Doreen, I invite you to come forward and take the pulpit. And the first question is the real easy one. Okay. What are you? Oh. <laughs> okay. Starting with the softballs, are we? Okay. Well, of course, I don't. I don't claim to speak for even the other two people of color in this congregation. Uh, my amazing Grace, my teenager, or a little Will. He's preschool, so he wasn't available to speak today. Can't see him over the pulpit. But, uh, but my my story really is a very common one in this society. So, um, um, my mother's side is uh, primarily uh, African descent. I can go back only so far before the the chain of knowledge is broken from uh, before we came over. But uh, my first relative in New World on my mom's side was called Susan, undoubtedly by the plantation where she she lived. And um, my dad's side is descended from an Italian whose last name was Cristiano. And uh, he came over on a merchant ship and decided he wasn't going back home. He, so he settled in what's now uh, Guyana. And my dad's from Trinidad. Um, so there's uh, Asian members of the family, uh, Blackfoot Nation. And, but when you ask someone, what's your background, a lot of you can say, well, Irish, uh, Italian, German, but when you ask me, I know you don't want a five-minute answer of this, 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 and this. So I pretty much round that up to person of color. It makes sense to me. Uh, some of my relatives look more or less like me. A lot don't look like me at all. Uh, my sister, same parents. Uh, my uncle used to call her, I don't know if, if any of you remember the cartoon character, Casper the Friendly Ghost. <laughs> Nothing negative at all, but she's very fair, real round face. So she was a dead ringer for Casper. And uh, uh, I don't see anything different when I look at her. Uh, my daughter, Grace, you may think doesn't look like me, but I just see my amazing Grace when I look at her. And I don't see any of you through that lens either. I just see you as individuals. So the other labels, if you like, you can call me African-American if you like. I, I've been to Africa. I've been to the top and the bottom, uh, Egypt and South Africa. But it wasn't home. I'm from New York City. Um, black, okay, but uh, it doesn't resonate for me, but those are really convenience labels for you. It, I don't really need them. And on uh, families of color, and when I meet other people of color, they don't see differentness in my daughter because we know when you mix up the gene pool, we're as Forrest Gump's mom said, we're like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, you don't want the softballs. We'll go to the hardballs. Oh, oh, okay. This was the most difficult of the questions that we tried to talk about, and that is, what do you personally feel or think about the events of these recent months with the deaths of unarmed black men at the hands of white police officers? Well, of course, those recent events are disturbing. Uh, we'll never know exactly what happened in Missouri. 
We know exactly what happened um, in New York because there's a recording of it. But for me, those are recent events, and it may be your perspective, uh, a new or escalating awareness. But for me, it's just some more events in a chain of events since really before the nation was founded. When the founding fathers were talking about equal rights, pursuit of happiness for everything, everyone, and they obviously doubly didn't mean me, um, to the civil rights movement, the present day when police forces through, sometimes through uh, overt uh, actions, other times just through neglect, fail to protect us physically, much less our pursuit of happiness. So to me, there's not much difference between uh, someone's head being slammed into the cement because they just weren't thinking, Carol's, I don't know, mistake, I don't know, but those are errors of omission, overt acts of violence, but they're all in a chain of a lack of protection and safety for us in this nation. But I'm glad we're talking about it. It's more in our consciousness. If you're willing and able to share it, what are some of the experiences that you've had as a woman of color? Oh. Maybe a couple through the years, but um, I, I was thinking of that when Lindsay brought it up, and I think the first one I remember, uh, my parents, uh, especially my mom, knew what was the world had in store for me when I went out into the world. So she made sure to fill my tank with uh, acceptance and positivity before I went out into the world, and the world had a chance to kind of hammer me down. Uh, when I was about six or eight, I had a pen pal, of course, in the days before Skype, the internet, so my pen pal didn't know what I looked like, and we exchanged several letters. I think she was from the Carolinas. So in one of those letters, I mentioned that I was black, and I never heard from her again. Then, but, it, you know, it, I know it sounds tragic, but, again, because my family had prepared me for those things, not by necessarily telling scary stories, but just by giving me a sense of self-worth. It didn't crush me. Then there are other things. I was standing on a corner of Southport and Fullerton. I remember it like it's two weeks ago, about 30 years ago, with the love of my life, and... Uh, He's Italian, and uh, some guy walked up to us and casually said, what are you doing with that nigger woman? Uh, but it said more about him than me. Just a few years ago, my last job, first day of my last job, um, I was with the, these guys that I work with, and in my business in IT, my peers are always about 95% guys, and the needle hasn't moved much in the 30 years I've been in the business. But I'm in this car uh, on the way from Salt Lake City to Provo. And, uh, of course, I'm visually non-Mormon, so there's only one place on earth I've been that kind of gives me more heebie-jeebies than being in Utah. But it was a little worse in Egypt. But at any rate, so we're in this car, and I'm between these two guys I've never seen before. And uh, one of them asked just general conversation, thought it was funny to ask me if it was true what they say about black men. 
but again, he wasn't signing my paycheck. So I don't know, he's way too strong for that to crush me either. So these are things, they're not nice things to happen. And, and again, from your faces, I know that sounds tragic, but again, it's, it's just the weight of life. I don't know life without it. Perhaps like the astronauts, that you don't feel the weight of gravity pulling you down, but you realize that weight when you're free of it for a while. So just a few of those questions. I mean, Lindsay asked, and you could open the faucet, and I could probably tell you as many as you like. But, but again, what doesn't kill us makes us strong. One might think that as a woman of color in this culture, you would have more than enough on your own plate to worry about. That being the case, uh, why have you chosen to be so actively involved in Interweave? And Interweave, in case anyone doesn't know, is a national movement. We have a local chapter of lesbians, gays, uh, bisexuals, transgendered, questioning folks with their families, their friends, and their allies. How'd you get involved in that? Well, I'm straight, but I'm a, I'm a straight ally. And it seems just self-evident to me that, I mean, I feel very strong solidarity with uh, sexual minorities and any other group that experiences discrimination. To me, discrimination is discrimination, the end. And I, I believe I remember the moment that that became clear to me. Uh, I was went to a rally at Soldier Field when I was about eight to see Dr. King, and then we marched through downtown through uh, Skid Row at the time, Michigan Street and uh, Madison Street. But at any rate, in the middle of the march, uh, there were people throwing bottles from the buildings above, and they're crashing down to the street. And I remember as those bottles were breaking on the street, and I was looking at, at the street, at, at the broken glass, and looking up at the people whose feet these bottles were breaking, and a lot of them didn't look anything like me. And it was just so powerful to see that it wasn't their problem, but they stood with us. So I stand with my gay, lesbian, transgender, all of those brothers and sisters. Someone in between the services asked, how do you think we could get more people of color into the church? Would that indeed be helpful for our diversity? And what would we need to be doing differently? Good luck. <laughs> that is a tough one. That's, that's a very tough one. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. Uh, Again, I'm here because I'm one of the Unitarians that I didn't decide someday to become Unitarian. I found out that, oh, that's what I am. <laughs> um, so it's very natural for me to be Unitarian. It's not my first Unitarian church, but when I moved to the area, came in, and the first day I was here, heard Lindsay, I knew I'm home. So we can only be, and we should only be ourselves. So... Uh, I would like to see more people of color, more everyone in the Unitarian Church, but perhaps one of the social forces that keeps more of them from us is, is just a heavily Christian and, and religiously conservative uh, background that many of us have. 
I can't relate to that, so I don't really know the way out of it probably any more than you folks do. What can your white friends and allies do to make the world better for you and for other people of color? And the flip side of that, what do you wish we would not do? Okay. Um, well, I think we should all know history, not the sanitized kind that uh, my daughter gets in Kane County School, but uh, real history for the same reason that I, I study the Holocaust other times in history. Um, I'd ask you to just recognize your, your privilege, because there is privilege, because uh, I live under that weight on a daily basis, but I don't drag it around like a ball and chain. Similarly, we could talk all day about the challenges of being a woman in the business world. So I have to get, see, there's heads nodding. I have just as many scary stories about being a woman in the business world. But so just be aware when you have privilege that it is and, um, and just be a part of the solution in some way. And um, don't be afraid of those awkward moments. Don't walk on eggs. Because uh, we all have awkward moments we try to understand. Sometimes we don't get it right. Same for me. So, you know, let, let's just uh, work through it. Uh, also, I would ask you to not try and simplify. There's a temptation to simplify what is complex by making generalities. Some of those things may be true, but if you feel that now I know about people of color, you may understand a little sliver of me, but miss really the rest of me. So I know some of you through my love of opera, but I might just as commonly be found at a Beyonce concert, and lots of times at Fermilab. All of those things are authentically me. They're all me. But... Um, Lastly, I, I just want to ask you to be yourselves because uh, I love about this, this crazy congregation of liberals and conservatives and Christians, Jews, agnostics, atheists, Wiccans, all of you. Just I love the diversity of this place, and uh, its heritage is so incredibly rich. And um, I, I think of Augustus Conant pretty much every time I come into this place. And I, I think it's great that he would welcome me. So I feel his spiritual embrace every time I'm here. And I love that uh, Lindsay and all of you are continuing that heritage of inclusion. So although my mom's not here anymore to just fill my tank with acceptance and love in a small way, all of you do that all the time, so thank you. Is there anything that you wish I had asked? You know, there are just so many experiences that I've had. All of you have met so many people in this congregation, and the stories I could listen to every one of you for all day, so. I just ask you, just let's keep talking and uh, share our stories, because I think really it, it raises all boats.
Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Today is the National Day of Black Solidarity. People of all colors have been called to observe the day symbolically by attending church and wearing black for the lives lost to the fear, the ignorance, the pervasiveness of racism in our culture. I want to thank those who, by choice or by chance, did indeed dress in mourning today in support of that affirmation that black lives matter. We did take a photograph between the services of folks who were here early for the social time and were dressed in black and those who were at the first service dressed in the funereal color. That picture will go up on our Facebook page, our website, and perhaps become part of the UUA's collection of photographs of observances of this day as part of our national Standing on the Side of Love campaign. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of hearing, and let's keep the conversations going. As I extinguish the flame of our congregation's chalice, take this flame, each of you, into the chalice of your own heart. Carry its warmth, its beauty, its message of hope and possibility out into the world that needs you. Go forth together and be peace. Blessed be and amen.